0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Network to Code on Network Collective. Today, I'm joined with Darren Folwell, who's not only a CCIE, but a CCDE, and now a network automation evangelist. Darren, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Good, good to be here, Jason. Thank you for having me.
0: You've been doing a lot of great work in the community. So we're gonna we're gonna start there. Now, okay. you're a co-host of Init Six. I've been fortunate enough to have recently been, been a guest on, on your podcast. But tell us about sort of you know what inspired the podcast, the group of individuals that that are co-hosts, sure. and what it's all
1: about. Yeah, no, um init six. Wow, yeah. No, it's 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 been a ride. Um we are a bunch of old dogs, I guess, Um, as members of of an organization called the the CCIE Advisory Council. It's uh, something that Cisco um, put together to help um, work on the certification program, basically. Um, All um, CCIEs outside of of Cisco who are able to advise and basically be the voice of the engineer, I guess, on the the program. Obviously, last year, sort of, we, we we met up, and there were big changes coming. We were looking at the the, the new DevNet certifications. We were looking at how the the uh, remaining certs were being changed, and the fact that that network automation was becoming a bigger and bigger part of, of of everybody's existence from a networking perspective. And so, we kind of looked at each other and went, "Well, what do we know about?" About this stuff, you know, not a not a huge amount. We we have varying levels of of expertise, but a couple of guys who deployed things like software defined networks, where they'd had to sort of get involved with with scripting and that sort of stuff, but no no real experience. But we thought, well, look, as as CCIEs, as as like I say, older guys wanting to mentor the younger generation, what we should be looking at is how how we ourselves take ourselves and grow but we can bring other people with us and, and I suppose the, that's where it all sort of spun up from was this idea of al- almost a, a study group almost but but to, to extend it out to not just us as as the old dogs learning the new tricks but but to to make sure that what we learned we, we helped other people learn along the way so we started talking to the devnet guys really and that's where it all sort of kind of snowballed from there
0: Got it. So step one, you formed formed this team hmm. that was already close with with Cisco and the advisory council. So, yes. You know, since then, what what was the what was the early steps? Going back, I guess over a year ago, to when you guys started, was it was it to to do a bit of learning and get people on the podcast to talk through it and you know what were the early days like and and how is it how has it transpired over the past year and a half.
1: Yeah, I mean that was that was the intention, right? Was was to really dig into dig into the the, the team at Cisco DevNet in particular um with with the connections that we had and really f- understand from them what what they were trying to get people to do. Because obviously at that stage we didn't probably fully appreciate ourselves the impact that that it could and, and would have on, on everybody now I mean you only have to look at the the numbers of people who are studying for those certifications and the looking at social media now just how how important um, network automation has turned out to, to be and will continue to be um, so so the, yeah the original tension get in the ribs of those guys find out what what they thought we should we should know and and where we needed to take things. So we had people, and you know you've 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 had some of them on yourself on here. so so I won't repeat names, but uh, but you know th- these guys, you know evangelists from from devnet to to just walk us through uh, baby steps, how to how to approach stuff. But then we started picking up a bit of speed and and some of us will go quicker than others and and whatever. you know, I mean i i'm I was lucky, right? I'm from a generation. Where I was in networking from from quite way, quite a way back. I know we've talked about this before, Jason, that you, you too, right? But when I was at university before I started all this, I was programming. So so I kind of had a lot of the the, the sort of the, the tools in the toolbox, I guess, to, to sort of think about things in a slightly different way. And because I was able to bring that together with my fundamentals and and uh, of, of networking. I was able to start thinking about things in a slightly broader context. And so that really helped me. I was able to sort of pick things up and run with them. A couple of the other guys didn't necessarily have that background. So it was really useful because we could bounce things off each other. We could expose some of that stuff on video and talking to people and and really dig into the different kind of approaches that you'd have to take based on the different types of people who were trying to trying to get to this, to walk towards this end goal. Um, so we were we spent a lot of time sat in front of sat on, on WebExes, and uh because I mean there's there's the group of us, there's um eight of us all together, and we're in um on the west coast of the states, we're on the east coast, we're in Europe, we're in New Zealand. Um so we're recording at stupid times of, of the evening. For me anyway, for, for everyone else it was morning or afternoon. Um just um you know eyes barely awake propped open with matchsticks while we're sort of discussing these gory detailed um automation concepts and stuff, but with these amazing people you know being able to to really dig into this stuff and and you know stir up a passion in it which uh, which I think yeah. has really played out if you if you look at what what the guys are doing now um people like Derek in particular um is is going great guns in producing some awesome material. And really connecting with people, and I think that that was the bit that was the, the when we when we started realising that what we were doing was was connecting with people and really making a difference to, to their approaches, all of a sudden. And and you'll know this all of a sudden game changes because, you know, you're you're not just doing this for you anymore. You're you're doing it to try and help. This yeah,
0: it's a great point. I said that recently actually when you know people ask about just, you know, community in general podcasts and, you know, blog articles and and specifically for our industry network automation, mm-hmm. like it really does become personal. And and so I think that's one of the things that you don't necessarily foresee because you know when it is started some of these things like writing a blog, it actually is because you like the material yeah. you're trying to almost help yourself remember it, and then you know get an article written just because you're passionate about it. Next thing you know, it's you're you're, you're making a true impact yeah. on on somebody's career and, and somebody's life. So it's actually you know, great to to recognize it. it. Makes you think differently, you know, oftentimes about how to go about certain things.
1: And it, and it also gives you the opportunity to to broaden your own horizons. You're able to connect with people you wouldn't necessarily have thought of. I mean, it's. This is, this is it, we, we started getting a bit cocky um, <laughs> towards the end of last year and started approaching people who were a little bit outside, outside of the normal sphere just just in order to, to have conversations. And so, you know, we, we managed to hook up um, in, in sort of uh, February, March time with, with Vince Cerf and clang, sorry, I just picked that name <laughs> up that I just dropped, but... but you know opportunities like that don't come along every day right and and so to be able to sort of talk to someone who was who's sort of the founding father of everything that you've been doing for the last 20 years is is quite quite something but that's purely because of sure. the approach that we're taking the people we're connected with and the things we were able to do I mean we spoke with Michael DeHaan not long after. I was gonna right? bring it up I was yeah. gonna
0: ask you yeah yeah that was great
1: and that was off the back of being able to say, well, we've spoken with Finn, and Finn's a great <laughs> guy, and he'll recommend, and every, and and all of a sudden, people wanted to talk to us, which was was amazing. But but Michael was was particularly interesting. I know that um, we've some of us are still talking to him now, and we're sort of involved with some of the th- the things that he's he's working on and whatever. Um, you know, it's it's been it's been really interesting listening to to those folks and 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 understanding. The rationale that they've had to, to doing the things that they've had to do, because yeah, you know, we, we're we are an older bunch of guys. We're, we're all sort of of an age, and um, hopefully, we're able to to pass on some of our knowledge. And but if we can pick up other people's and pass that through as well, even better.
0: You know? Yeah, there's no doubt. And for the listeners, Michael Dehan was the the initial creator and founder of, of Ansible, the project and and the company. That was later then you know, then sold to uh, to Red Hat and now now IBM. And what's crazy thinking about it is it's true. When you think about either to obtain that knowledge and give it back, Ansible itself was started, I believe it was in 2012, so 20, you know, eight year, eight years ago. And so, you talk to a guy like Michael Dehan, It's it's kind of you know understand what he was thinking about back mm. then eight plus years ago about the problem space and DevOps and configuration management and and how do you prevent configuration drift and declarative versus imperative. And the truth is, one well, great to hear those things, but those are the things that are still so early on in the networking industry.
1: And and that was the thing that that I mean that was the thing I took from it was actually. When when he'd then gone back afterwards and started thinking about the network space, he actually had it in his head that that he wasn't even convinced that it was the great tool for the purpose because because he could see better ways or or um, alternative paths and alternative methods that might be useful from a network perspective. You know, it, it, we were even talking, you know, back in, in April when we, we spoke to him, we were even talking then about, oh, well, you know, if you did this and if you did that, that might work better. And and we were able to, to have this conversation about about the, the kind, like you say, what the problem space really is from a network perspective, um, which, which is really sort of. It really starts you thinking, and I think that's one of the other things that I've taken from this whole process is that it's given me an opportunity to kind of step back a little bit and not just think about, well, I want to be able to automate this, but why I want to automate it and how and what the bigger picture view is of the whole thing. I think that's quite, um, quite interesting. Definitely an interesting cool. space for me.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So, from where you sit right now mm. in your role in the community, you know, in your role in your in your day job, and having tracked a lot of these technologies and movements going from software-defined networking and intent-based networking, we have policy and orchestration and all mm. these things. So, where do you where do you think we are? What you know, where would you say the industry uh, currently is? What's your take?
1: That's a really good question. Wow, and and I know people always say that on podcasts, <laughs> don't they? That's
0: a really good question. It's easier to ask what these times. It's easier to ask. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Right, trying to trying to think of an answer. No, I mean it's 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 important um, to to consider this one. I think. I mean, my my take um, my take might be a little controversial um, if if we went into it in gory detail, but but I think th- the key thing for me is not to to consider. Um, automation for the sake of automation, really. I mean, it is, it's important that we start to address why we're automating things. Um, that that I know is something that, that that you guys do a lot of is working with businesses to to get to the bottom of process that wraps around the automation and and really driving it from from that side of things. And I think that's really key. I think um, understanding the the operational process. That you're trying to not just the one you're trying to automate, but the, the ones you're trying to integrate with, because your automation is only going to go so far, depending on what um, what domain you're working in. I suppose um, that that it's you know you've got to set that that sort of bigger picture and have that that framework understood. I'll give an example. Um, Intent based networking seems to be in in my head the most complete sort of vision really for for what this is going to be. You can go. Um, to, the, there's an IETF definitions um, paper on this one. I'll send you the link for that, actually, if, uh, um, if you want to put it in show notes or whatever. It's, um, it's really, really good in terms of actually describing the problem space, um, that, that what you're trying to achieve here is to take a business requirement, to express it in a way that it can be then rendered as configuration, but also... Be able to be tested to make sure that the network is behaving the right way, and then um, feedback to fix the problem. Right? Very simply, that's that's what it's there to do. You can feed into that um, elements of monitoring and visibility and all of those sorts of things from an operational point of view. But the idea is you want to get towards really towards this autonomic network idea where where it self drives. Right? That you feed in what you want the network to deliver at the top, and the network goes ahead and does its thing. Now, you know and I know, the complexity that we've got in networks right now, that's, you know, that's a long, long way away, right? Because we've got so much that we try to deliver in our networks now and the way we do it, that we need to have different networks almost, to deliver different elements of it, you might have your campus network with your wireless. You might have your your WAN, your SD WAN, hybrid cloud network, whatever, and you're going to have your um, your your data centers, your private clouds, or, or or whatever. So so, and each of those have their own automation uh, mechanisms, their own orchestration capabilities, and so on. So how you then deploy your a, a service onto that. And how you then measure that that service is being delivered, and how you then orchestrate some sort of feedback loop, is really really complex. Um, so I think from that perspective, I think what you've got is is you've got automation is going to help us scale, right? So so within a, within a, a network domain, you either use a controller, you, you use scripts and and, and coding. Or you might use like a policy-based um, uh, policy engine or whatever, and and draw information out of that policy engine into your into your network. But that's only going to work in on in one domain at a time. So the, this idea of having you know one one SDN controller to 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 manage all networks, I think is a you know is is something that we're going to really struggle with for a long time because of the the different requirements of each of those networks.
0: Yeah, no doubt. You know, I think you're describing it well. You know, I think, you know, we've done some talks around network automation architecture. And and you know the truth is, you know, it's it's uh there actually isn't a very well defined industry architecture. And you know, we're working on something to maybe even, you know, produce in the future. But you know, there isn't a reference architecture for network automation. Mm-hmm. And you know, we think of it as holistic views into network automation you know, in terms of by definition maybe it's more intent-based networking. Yeah, But it's it's funny. Now, when we look at network automation architectures, SDN architectures, intent-based networking solutions and architectures, you know, there's, you know, I, I still find, you know, myself to a certain extent. And I know, you know, there's, there's you know, many of us are, are, are looking at like defining them and, and ensuring you can convey the differences between yeah. all of these. And I almost wonder... Like, is that, is that worth the time and effort? Yeah, I, 20, I, 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 well, one example I want to give, I, I actually, now that I'm talking to you. I remember yeah. back in, back in, this must've been 2012 or 13, I think Brocade bought Viata. Yeah. And this is when the SDN movement was, was in the beginning. And it was like, there was so much hype and it was, it was being called SDN. And again, like back then, I was super passionate about it already, you know, following every venture-backed startup to every product and tool and (laughs) protocol. And I was like, no, 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 this is not SDN. This is software-based networking. This is, you know, network function uh, virtualization around running. An appliance as a VM; these are two different things. And and uh, you know, did it you know did it help? I don't, I don't know. So I yeah. I just always wonder now if we focused on the interworkings and and communications and 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 patterns, yeah. is that where we should be spending our time versus you know understanding the acronym and, yeah. and all the hype behind them?
1: No, I think I think that's exactly the point here. Is is that there are there are going to be different ways of delivering the best. Um, from each network domain, right a, 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 an SD1 is a great way of delivering um, you know wide area connectivity over whichever mechan, you know whichever transport is available to you. but an SD campus network using overlays and all the rest of it, is, is an idea and there's a reason why you would do it, but is it the best way of delivering it? I, I can't answer you that question. My point is, and, and it's kind of what you're saying, I think there are potentially different approaches best suited to, to different um, parts of the network. In which case, what you're really looking at is not, you're not looking at an overlay over overlays or anything like that. You're just wanting to be able, perhaps to take loosely coupled um, network domains and be able to deliver service across all of them. And so it becomes more of an orchestration capability and, a, and a, um, an assurance capability, right? So where you're able to, to look at delivering a service using something like, let's say NSO, right, uh, or TLF, right, as, as, a, as a way of define a service. So these are the elements that need to be um, implemented to, to deliver that service, crack on. And and be able to take that as a as an atomic thing that you can deploy and then remove and and, and away you go. But then to be able to, to sit alongside that, some method of being able to look at the the network from end to end across all of those domains and be able to determine right are the relationships the way they would expect them to be in here, is it delivering things the way I would expect them to, and if it's not, to either flag it up or to be able to have some mechanism that could potentially modify the way you orchestrate the network. There's always gonna be a need for a a designer to be able to look at a a, a requirement from a business and say, in order to deliver that requirement, I'm gonna have to do this thing here and that thing there and that thing there. And that that network designer is gonna have to be able to understand the, the, the network technologies and be able to translate one to the other. There's always going to be that requirement because you're. How can you when you've got disparate technologies like that? How can you ever have um, one technology that understands all of the others and is able to translate from business requirements? Sure. Do you know what I mean? So, so I think you're right. I think that that kind of loose coupling with the human intelligence wrapped up in it is is going to be the answer, and that ability then to to provide some measurement of that. Um, the delivery.
0: Yeah, you, you brought up, you mentioned the word assurance in there, mm. and you know don't want to don't want to not you know speak about um, you know what your what your day to day is as as an evangelist. It's not sure. the new podcast and conferences all you know all <laughs> the day. Any conferences anymore. Yeah, right that, here,
1: but, yeah. Exactly.
0: But you've been busy at interop. You are on a panel, network field day you did recently, sure. talking about you know assurance and and sort of you know various other other yeah. concepts and and whatnot. But you know walk us through. Network automation assurance, you know, it it is a growing concept as we think about, you know, even in network code, we'll talk about network automation architectures. It's always, it's always a part of it, but you know, with, with where you sit, what is, what is IP fabric all about? And, and, you know, tell us, you know, tell us a bit about, you know, the platform.
1: Yeah, sure. So IP fabric um, really started well uh, from, it started with a bunch of, of CCIEs who were looking at networks thinking, um, for one thing, um, how is it that my documentation is never up to date and it's never as I expect it to be based on, on what I know it should be? Um, but but also try to understand, well, look, you know, if, if a network is, is operating in the correct way, how can I measure that? How can I see that and how can I um, visualize it? So when it was first built, it was built very much as a documentation platform in order to 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 kind of replace the the, the static documentation that you might have, um, you know, the, the 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 Visio diagrams and the that, that never get updated, the 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 design document that's supposed to become a living document, but it kind of lives, you know, in the in the, the four years ago when you originally implemented it and never actually ages.
0: So this is, is it meant as documentation meant to show what what is,
1: and that's the point, right? So yeah. so when right my background, um, I I was I was uh, I did all the, the network support and all the rest of it, but the biggest chunk of my, my my time I suppose was as a designer and implementer of networks for on a project basis, right? As a project engineer or a project project um, architect. What, what I always found was I draw these diagrams and I do these documents and all the rest of it. And as part of the delivery of that project, the whole point was that, that that document would live on, that it wouldn't just be cast in stone, go into an archive and never be seen again. But it would be it would live on with the support people and get updated every time a change was made or whatever. That never happens. It never happens or there are some organisations where it may happen, but it, it certainly it must um, have been your think, fault. I'm not. I'm not even going down that path. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe my visio skills are just so good that, that's that people it. broke Couldn't the keep diagrams up. every time. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. But I think so. So something like um, so. So one of the one of the aspects, I suppose, of IP fabric and certainly one of the early ones, was about removing that problem. Right because what what the what the platform will do it will dive into a network it will um, trawl it end-to-end now it doesn't scan it as as such it trawls it the way that I would do it if I were to log into a device and crawl through the network uh, and maps it out right but it doesn't just map it out oh that's physically connected to this that's physically connected to that what it does is it'll do that but then it looks at the next layer up and says right well what what are the MAC address tables looking like where is the spanning tree where are the vlans and then it looks at the next layer up and goes well where are the where are the osbf adjacencies and where are where are my routes pointing and and what's my bgp look like and then it looks at the um at the the quality of service and the and the firewall rules and those sorts of things and it's able to to Basically, build up this multi-layer picture of what a network looks like end to end, and the relationships in it, which is fantastic. It will display them on a diagram. You can remove layers, you can add layers back in, and and you've got all that documentation in the deepest, goriest detail that you want, all in this, all in the system. Right. So, so at the simplest level. You've just sped up all of your troubleshooting and all of your um, compliance and all that sort of stuff because you've got this documentation like you've never had network documentation before. But then, of course, you start to think, well, what what else can you use that for? And 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 what that then becomes is a, is a model that you can start to look at it and ask questions of it that you could never ask questions of static documentation. You can start to say, well, okay, I've got this link and and. Um, do the mtus match at either end of that link or um, i've got a trunk link and do the vlans are the vlans the same at either end and the native vlans match or um, i've got a bgp relationship between these two routers and i noticed that it's been in established state for the last however long why is why is that you can and you can start to dig into a whole load more detail around not the devices and the configuration but the actual state of the relationships in the network and all of a sudden that then allows you to start asking questions and and tracking the answers to those questions over time which when we now go back to what we were talking about just a moment ago about intent based networking well that's kind of answering those those questions that you want to make sure that the network is behaving the way it should by tracking those relationships and so more and more what we're seeing customers doing is using the data and the depth of the data that's in the platform to start measuring this compliance and this intent um if you like of of the network you feed it the right rules um and and what it can do is say that complies or it doesn't and then you can take that data out of the platform and through through all the open apis and you can go push it into through webhooks into other other platforms, you can extract the data and pump it into other systems and do whatever. The point is that it's that, that central point of data with all this analysis and, and verification wrapped around. So
0: users can have some platform, some other platform manage configurations, deploy configurations, Completely. but a while, but a while defining the desired intent, uh, defining how it should be operating within within IP Fabric and be yep. able to get those reports, you know, whatever it means, daily, weekly, whatever, and, and really just be verifying the intent, uh, no pun intended, intent-based networking, but you are yeah. you are verifying exactly, the intent of the, the operational intent to, to make sure it is it is up to date.
1: That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly now. When, you know, when, when we look at, at where we are with intent-based networking, you know, there's still there is this this dream, right, of of an intent-based networking system that can do all of the things. There, there will always be that dream, and if you and if you read the IETF definitions doc, it describes a a very idealized environment. But that's the point of it. You know, it's, it's to define the roles and the uh, whatever. But as as you you look at networks as they are really right now. They're made up of all of these different components, the different vendors, the different different families, different versions of code. It's completely unpredictable, right? Until you can see the whole thing end to end. And once you've got a platform that can actually abstract it all away, say, right, okay, I don't care that this is a a Juniper firewall, and I don't care that that's a Cisco router, and I don't care that that that's an extreme switch or an Aruba wireless LAN controller. I just care that they have those functions, and I know what those functions are, um, and I know how they're configured because I can translate the configuration. So all of a sudden, you've just modeled the network, and you're able to actually try and work out, well, actually, this is how this is how it should be working, and so when I do a path check from from this point to that point, this is the flow that will the, that should happen, and and this is and if it's not happening, then there's something wrong, right? So so that's that's kind of that's where IP Fabric comes in, but it's yeah. it's much more it's it's a bigger picture than that. But 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 I, but I'm lucky enough to be working um, for for these guys who who have built this this system, so.
0: Yeah, no, it's great to hear. And, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, SDN to intent-based networking solutions and architectures, as I was alluding to, even at Network to Code, we talk a lot about enterprise network automation architectures. And, you know, there, there's there's similarities, as I was, I was mentioning, around building cl- these closed-loop systems. Yeah. And even from our perspective, it's, it's about building a closed-loop system that is modular in nature to be able to, you know, have it be pluggable if it's, you know, platform X for configuration management, you know, maybe for you know visibility, you know, assurance and, and so on. And, you know, the nice thing is, you know, for those getting started, you can start and you know, there's many ways to get started. There's, there's not one right way based on the need of an organization. And so if that means compliance and intent checks first, great. But now you, you know, you know, it's going to be needed no matter what to be able to, to close that loop, you know, if somebody ever yeah, wants yeah. to close that loop to get the observed state to react to it, the, you know, the collecting it somehow is, is required, and, and having it be model driven and having it be, you know, multi vendor is is, uh, is no doubt, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, critical.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, not wanting to bang on too much, but um, the 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 point is that the the thing that I've seen over over time, and while I've been developing my own approach to 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 network automation and understanding what automation needs to be so much of the time and energy is put into building the tooling to go fetch data out of the network so much effort and so much time is spent on that um <laughs> i i kind of started kicking myself a little bit when i saw the platform because all of a sudden the platform's doing it for me so all, what that, regex, now,
0: all that all those regex parsers and some templates and genie parsers i
1: can't hear you <laughs> But that's my point, right? Yeah. Is that all of that stuff? Uh, you know, I, I don't need to do that anymore because what I do is let let IP Fabric do that for me, and then I've got a database with all that in. So what what that ends up as as a sort of network automation person, and from an operational point of view, I suppose here is you've got all that data. You become more of a data scientist because what you're actually now doing is querying a database, pulling data out of that database and using Python to interpret the data, not not using Python to go log into something, to go and run a certain set of commands to retrieve it, to to pull it back and put it into a data model, because that's all done for me. So all I'm now doing is actually doing the data science in order to understand right is intent met or not and, and what do I have to do to fix it. All
0: right. So you mentioned you mentioned yeah you know, data science. So I have to ask you're collecting a lot of data. So I'll ask the you know, common question that you know I might get from time to time, but even more direct to you since since you have all <laughs> this data. What is the you know what is the story around AI and ML? With with all this data that's being collected, is it is it is it coming? Is it extensible for users, or, or are you going to start predicting when networks are going to go down? What's a what's the story there?
1: Yeah, interesting one, isn't it? Um, I think in my mind, um, there's so much that needs to be done with with AI and ML about understanding the use cases. The the environments that we're dealing with are complex, aren't they? They're not straightforward. It's a bit like the it's a bit like the Ansible problem we talked about before, right? When 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 we talked to Michael Dehane, he was saying, well, you know, Ansible was all about having a, a very flat, static kind of environment that we're able to deploy quickly, but it's always the same, and it's you know, it's a very simplistic, I suppose, uh, deployment networks are complex there you've got bits here that do one thing bits here that do something different and you've got to you've got to make them into work and you talk about the, the sort of amount of interaction there is between different things and the deep interaction between things in order to you know so the com- complexity is such as it is every network being that bit different all the rest of it is is i think we've got a long way to go to get um, machine learning to the point where it can actually understand and and do things with that level of complexity and that interaction. I know, I know it's something I talked to to the guys about when I started with IP Fabric that did about machine learning, and they said at that stage that they had actually experimented quite quite heavily with pushing the data through um, through machine learning, al- learning algorithms, and actually got worse results than when they applied. Um, kind of heuristic type approaches, or or even just experience. You know, exactly, because exactly. When you think about it, you know, as as a team uh, uh, in a small organisation like Happy Fabric, they've got maybe a hundred years of of networking experience to to fall back on in order to, to to deliver that thing, and that's real world experience. To try and train up some sort of machine learning algorithm to have anything approaching that amount of experience is is something you know that's just going to take so much effort um, and it's only going to be very targeted and i think that's the point is that that, that machine learning and and, and ai to, to an extent at the moment is such a, a a narrow field you 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 can you can give it a very narrow problem and go solve that narrow problem, but you can't give it anything of complexity because it just can't handle the fact that it's dealing with all of those inputs. Yeah. So yeah, that's no, my, no, my personal take on it anyway.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no that's helpful. Thank you. And so one thing I want to bring up is since you were on you're on a panel at, at Interop mm. around open source commercial platforms, you know, versus one another, complementary. Yeah. I don't want to go down into too much detail, but I do want to, you know, cover, you know, you know, something on there. Yeah. So I was curious with what you're with what you're seeing in the market, you know, since, you know, you, you know, again, not hiding the fact you do work for IP fabric, sure. commercial a manufacturer with, with the adoption you're seeing, are you seeing it as either, or when, cause, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of adoption with infrastructure as code and yeah. open source. And, you know, what are, what are you seeing with, with the intersection of, of sort of commercial adoption and, and those that are still leveraging some form of open source in their, in their journey.
1: Yeah. I mean, from, there's, there's a couple of aspects to this right um one of which obviously is the education process so so when you when you look at what what network engineers are learning and and the way that they're approaching that learning it's very focused on open source tooling it's very focused on on you know the, the sort of I'd, I'd call it traditional <laughs> programmability, if there is such a thing. You know, given that it's it's not that old. But um, you know, the 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 point is the flexibility of open source tooling, the availability, the, the the cost of the actual tooling is is you know means there's a very low barrier to entry, right? And and so that's a that's a great thing because it means that everyone can get get involved, get a handle on it, understand it. They can build. Environments, they can they can lab it and so on. Brilliant. I think I think if you if you look at the capability and the amount of effort it takes to get to a stage where you've got the capability, and I've kind of alluded to this before a little bit, um, that that sometimes you can you can um, perhaps look to pre projects that are already available or commercial products that might that might actually get you further quicker, um, and, and from a cost point of view, well, they might cost something license-wise, but they might save you a shed load of effort, and so so things balance out. Um, and then it becomes a question of, well, if... Uh, okay, we have an example, and I'm gonna to refer to a customer, I'm not gonna name them, but um, what uh, we have a customer who tells us that, um, 95% of the automation work that, that he has had to do over his career, and he's been doing this a little while, um, has been around, around collating that information, collecting it, gathering it. The, the toil, right, of going and fetching information, bringing it back, processing it, handling it, putting it in a database, and so he's able to work with it. <clears throat> Choose the right tool To replace that toil with, and you've just cut your your the amount of time it's gonna take you to deliver your your end game by 95%. Okay. Um now our approach, um this is the, the the IP fabric thing, okay. Our approach is that we're open. We we as insofar as we'll we'll deliver you that data and then we'll step back. And we'll give you an API, and you can then take that data and put it into whichever environment you want. And for me, this sits really well, because once you've got the data, and I refer to this data science approach, right, you can do what you like with it. And it's then available to you to, to bolt on um, integrations into, into whatever your favorite monitoring platform is or whatever your favorite um, ITSM environment is or whatever um, automation platform, platform that you want to use to push configs you've got all of that capability still the way you want it but you've got this this way of of drawing on this huge pool of data that's just been collected for you and i think that kind of solves the problem with the best of both worlds right the, the idea is that you 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 if you can buy something that's reasonably priced um that gets you 95 percent of the way to to where you want to be and then be able to bolt on the things, or build them, or b- or borrow them, in order to to get you to a, to the hundred percent mark. Then that combination, I think, is the is the best approach. And I would like but yeah. That's where we go.
0: Yeah. No. Look, I, I think there's a lot of things. You know, size and scale. Yeah. Right. You know, even if you know we've seen, you know, we've seen. You know, for one, you know, again, we're we're rooted in open source. But at the same time, you know, I think the majority of our projects have some integrations, right, to commercial platforms to leverage the rich data. And really, it's all about really about the data yeah. to be able to, even if it's Ansible or Python, making configuration change to be able to integrate data independent of where it comes from to be able to do a pre-check or a post-check and to expedite the pace at which it could, you know, you, you could you could deliver it. And and the truth is, you know, you know, it is, you know, even t- with every product that exists. You know, it it is often hard to keep up with the products that are the networking devices that are coming out in the marketplace, operating systems. And so, you know, from our standpoint, it's always good to be able to make sure there's a strategy to account for some of the unknown, and you know, but in general, it's definitely all about you know the need, integrations and workflows. You mentioned ITSM like a service now. Yeah, yeah. You know, th- these are the integrations that that don't go away, no. right? And ind- independent of, of commercial or open source, if, yeah. if if you're truly trying to have some self-service capabilities and have all these checks under the covers. There's just there's just a, a lot of work to be able to expose, I would say, network automation back to a to a wider audience.
1: And I think I think you've you've kind of hit the nail about as squarely on the head there from, from my perspective as to what network automation should be there to do. Right. It's not it's not necessarily about about being able to make a config change really quickly or or be able to pull a, a set of information really quickly. It's about being able to build um, operational process that's as frictionless as possible for the the person who's got to use it right so so if like you say self-service type approach where where a, a, a you know a user decides they want to do a thing well okay what they need to be able to do is 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 fill in a form to do a thing and then stuff needs to happen behind it you need to be able to then talk about all of these things that we talked about right so that's sure. effectively in them defining their intent you then need to define, right, how do I get turn that intent into configuration? How do I push that configuration? So there's the network automation. And then how do I assure it by making sure that the information that's coming back is tracked through and that that, that assurance is updated based on that information as well. It's about the operational process. It's about understanding what does a customer act of... of because let's face it, when, as network guys, we our customer is the is the business user right what is it that they need us to do and they need us to deliver and that is what network automation is it's a it's a tool in order to help us deliver what they would they need with with less friction
0: Yeah. I've been saying for us, it's, you know, it's workflows and data. Yeah. I think in general, talking about products and tools too early could definitely hurt, but understanding the workflows. And again, this is both read only workflows, read, write workflows, understand all the checks, all the reasons why people log into the network is, is super important. And to, and to document them, you know, it's going to help, it's going to help us. It's going to help the industry. And that's the part that we really have to, uh, you know, rally, rally around, Definitely. but you know, cool. This is, this is, you know, for one great, you know, great chat overall. And I always ask at the end, you know, as you know, given, you know, given where you are and the journey mm-hmm. you've been on from, you know, the traditional Cisco certs from again, CCIE, CCDE yeah, yeah. and beyond any, any advice you would give to those that are making a similar transition as you did.
1: Wow. Right. The, tra- the transition is, it, it kind of changes every time you look at it. But um, I think the, the main thing is to, to, Know your fundamentals, right? So, so understand because it's not going away. You know, people need to understand how networks work, and we can always need to to understand that. So, I think know your fundamentals, but from that transition perspective, just to, you've got to be open minded. You've got to look at the big picture. You've got to understand why it is you're doing what you're doing, and and I think that that's been the real eye opener for me. Is is like I say, reaching that conclusion that this isn't about this isn't about being able to do things fast or being able to, to, to do things uh, consistently. It's about why I want to do that fast and why I want to do it consistently. Um, so so think about the why. Um, I've, I kind of have a bit of an advantage, I suppose, when when I did my my CCDE. That becomes really part of your your mental process at that stage because you're you're always trying to reason as to why you would use a certain technology and why you would approach things in a certain way as part of that design um, opportunity. And so uh, mentioned to you before, the idea of designing for for network automation plays straight into this because really it's about designing what the service is gonna look like. Um, so yeah, I think that that for me, always think of the why
0: yeah no doubt and you mentioned you know designing for network automation i before the show too didn't have time to cover it today but hopefully on a future episode Definitely. we'll kind of we'll talk all about designing for for network automation so that, that said darren once once again thanks for being on the show to everyone
1: Absolutely.
0: else it's a yeah for sure and everyone else be sure to check back in a few weeks and we'll have a new podcast you know coming out then thanks again
1: thanks very much